Let Them Lead is a podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today. Your host is John Bacon, author of the book, Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team, which led to this podcast. On Let Them Lead, John talks to remarkable leaders from every field imaginable. Automotive, computers, food service, media, education, and athletics, just to name a few. And they share their hard-won wisdom, amazing stories, and a few laughs. You'll also learn a few things you can use tomorrow, and things you can think about the rest of your life. John always finishes with three takeaways and a discussion of their favorite teacher. In the words of John's fifth grade teacher, Mr. Puddock, it's fast, it's fun, and we get it done. So please join us for an entertaining and inspiring discussion. You'll be glad you did. You can subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please feel free to leave your comments about any and all of the podcast episodes. And by all means, spread the word. That's how the word gets spread. And now here's our latest episode of Let Them Lead, presented by your host, John U. Bacon. Hello and welcome back for another version of Let Them Lead, a podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today. I'm John U. Bacon, the author of Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team, and not making that up, and of course, also the host of the podcast. I want to remind you guys, of course, to give us reviews online, to uh, tell your friends, to subscribe and spread the word. So we are growing fast and that's been fun. Today's special guest, if you read the book, you already know them. This is Mike Henry, the captain of the squad in 2001, the Ann Arbor Huron River Rats, about whom I wrote for Let Them Lead, and our star goalie, Steve Beltran, now a star teacher at Trenton School District of all the doggone school districts, of course, because they end up being a big rival of ours. And uh, Mike is now the, what is your exact title, Mike? President? General Manager of USA Hockey Arena and Director of CompuWare Youth Hockey. There you go. No small list there, of course. Comp Youth Hockey is one of the biggest and best in the nation. And uh, Steve is a hotshot junior high school teacher in Trenton. So he is doing the Lord's work there, my friends. Well done. Not that I'm all that religious, but hey, you got to get that one in there. So how you guys doing today? Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Great. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. All right. Let's get into it. All right. Let's dive right in, guys. You guys have been lifelong hockey players, of course. What attracted you to the game of hockey in the first place? I would say the answer to the question of how I got involved in hockey was my dad's from Southern California. In college, he worked on an ice He had been, of course. Yeah. He worked in probably one of the few ice arenas in the LA area through college. Then he moved to the Southeast Michigan area to work for Ford Motor Company, then started a family and he always enjoyed hockey, then got my older brother playing. Then when I got there, it was my turn and I started following in the shadows and playing. Kind of a Steve Bell transfer as well, of course, because your older brother played for Huron, as did Tom Henry, of course. I never coached Tom, but I did coach Anthony Beltran as an assistant coach 10 years before you, of course. Yeah, Anthony definitely played a huge factor in me getting into hockey. You know, when you're little, you look up to your little brother and you want to be just like them. Your big brother, you mean, I think, correct? Oh, yeah, I apologize. My big brother. (laughs) Now he's like my little brother. But no. (laughs) You look up to your big brother and you want to be just like him. And when he was out there skating, I wanted to go out and skate too. You know, when he was downstairs in the old basement before it was finished shooting hockey pucks, he'd put me in front of the net and say, hey, try to stop these pucks. And so you kind of get into it that way. And in the wintertime, skating was just kind of what you did around Ann Arbor. We were lucky enough to have a pond in the neighborhood and all the neighborhood kids would go down and skate. You know, some river rats, the Ewer brothers, the Roberts brothers, a lot of the older kids went down there and skated and you wanted to be just like them. So you would go skate too. And of course, that pond was Thurston Pond, well known to all of us, even though I was a school over at King School. That's where we all went, of course, two or three games there on a weekend at any one time. And Pete Ewer, of course, our star player, All-Stater, also ended up being a great assistant coach, was also your babysitter. So it's a small hockey world, of course, (laughs) to say the least. I'm sure he's got some stories. I'm sure you do too, but I'll leave that alone for now. You guys, of course, were on the team in 1999 and 2000. That's the Ann Arbor Huron High School team. And of course, that team went 0, 22, and 3. But for as many problems as it had, including being competitive, you did have some important assets, including, I think, very good senior leadership. Yeah, that was a group of good people. Might not have shown up in the records, but we all got along. We all had fun together. We all purely enjoyed the sport. And that senior class of 2000, like 
they were just as much part of this. We kind of dipped there and we were all trying to get out of it. And they were great friends and great people to be around. And as hard as it you can imagine it was to not win a hockey game, we kept the attitudes up as high as we could and really bonded a friendship that really lasts forever. We still see each other and talk and they were a great group of kids. Well, that's pretty cool. And of course, when I took over the team in 2000, I suspected that, that I would have every problem imaginable. And we had a lot of things to fix, to say the least. Discipline, work habits, things like this. Confidence was a big thing, naturally. But team unity, you guys were pretty unified before I even showed up. And that I did not expect. For a team that was 0, 22, and 3, you expect them to have a lot of infighting. You guys were quite unified uh, with a very strong senior class. And you're both part of that, of course. So as Beltran himself has said in the book, and you're not wrong, that I came in a little hot at first, of course, when I was the head coach in June of 2000. I was eager to get things turned around. And we started out with a very high expectation that we're going to be the hardest working high school hockey team in the state of Michigan. We're going to do things the right way. And that was not always well received. So Steve or Mike, but probably Steve first, feel free to elaborate on that. And don't worry, pal, let it go. (laughs) Yeah, for me, it definitely felt like you were coming in hot, but you were trying to change the culture. And it was something that was needed. And I feel like maybe it was one of your quotes or a quote from Bo, where you talked about throwing the bucket of cold water, trying to paraphrase here, but just lay it on thick in the beginning. You can always lighten up as the season progresses, but you had high expectations. You needed to make those clear to everybody. And it started with those summer workouts. I mean, really, it started with that meeting at Mike's house where you brought us all together, you had surveys, and you just said, this is the way it's going to be. And for us, that was a bit of a shock at first. And the quote was, Bose, throw a bucket. You don't get to the deep end going inch by inch in the cold water. You won't do it that way. You got to go day one in the deep end. And that is shocking, no doubt. And there are risks of that, no doubt. To elaborate on the backyard scene, I had sent out a questionnaire to all the players basically asking about themselves. Pretty simple stuff. They can do it all off the top of their head. How many years have you played? What positions do you play? What do you like about hockey? What do you not like about hockey? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you need from the coaching staff? Just pretty basic stuff. And we showed up in Mike's backyard, Mike being the captain, of course, incoming for his senior year. And of the 15 players, I think maybe three filled it out. I didn't know until we wrote the book, Mike, that you (laughs) saw how mad I was getting. (laughs) And Mike runs runs inside. It's his house. Fills out the questionnaire and turns it in. Smart work, Mike. That was pretty quick. But that's, of course, when I chewed the guys out and said, look, this is the problem. That three out of 15 guys turn this in. We can't succeed like this. This can't happen. And, of course, Steve, you're now speaking from the very wise point of view of a very successful teacher. So you know how you change the culture, of course, on day one. You can always let the rope out, but you usually can't yank it back. So it's probably a good idea to start out being as tough as you're going to be and then hopefully lighten up as the year goes on. But I'm sure that... Uh, Who's got that? Apologize. The bells are still working here at school. Oh, damn damn school. (laughs) My man is at Trenton Junior High School right now, so pretty cool. What is the name of your school, by the way? It's Arthur's Middle School. Arthur's Middle School. There you go. Give a plug for Arthur's Middle School. And the kids have a half day today because we have parent-teacher conferences starting this afternoon. So I'm on my lunch break, but we're still doing uh, bells. The bells still run. Hey, so listeners, by the way, this is a real authentic show. This is the real deal right (laughs) here, so... There you go. Your response to that first meeting, I walked off Mike's driveway with Ned Glisson saying that I might not be the head coach in a week. This might not go over well. I don't know. What was your reaction? My first reaction was, I told you guys to turn in that survey. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Captain. Well played. (laughs) No, we were all on our heels. When you left, we were all kind of looking at each other like, what just happened? We're getting yelled at and it's June and we were just thought we were all getting together to have a pop and hang out in the backyard and get to meet you. Then all of a sudden it was, wait a minute, we actually have to do something. (laughs) That's about right. Of course. Great line. I, for the record, I did not yell, but I might as well have, because that was certainly the the message. I agree with that. These days you got to point that up, but the message was certainly the same. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I don't, and I would agree with you. You didn't yell, but you. Yes, it was definitely a bucket of cold water. No question about that. So one great quote, Mike, you've got in the book, you've got a lot of great quotes in the book, but one of them, you did point out that you guys actually did want to work. You expected to work harder. You're ready to work harder. You wanted to win. You're tired of not having to win a game in a year and a half. 
But as you said, too, there's also an, an attitude where they're kind of too cool to care. At the school dance, Pat Comiskey, the legendary Cosmo, told me that uh, they started a chant. I think it was Owen 16 at the time. Owen 16, Owen 16. That was a chant at the school dance. So it was kind of cool to be winless. It was not cool to care. That was kind of the hump we had to get over. But you're right. You guys were ready to work and you did want to win. Yeah, to yeah. go off that, too cool to care. I think I mentioned this to you earlier, or maybe it was in the book, but it's when you're losing that many games, if you let everybody know that you actually care, it's embarrassing. You're trying your best and you're still losing. That's not something that you're really proud of. So if you kind of make a joke out of it, like, oh, yeah, everybody, this is awesome. We're 0-23-3 and or 0-16, you know, you can brush it off that way. That's a good point. It's a way to protect yourself, really. In high school and college, I was a horrible procrastinator. And I learned after the fact that I was procrastinating. So if I got a B, well, man, I did it last night. Big deal. It's kind of the same idea. You lower the bar for yourself. So if you do fall short, it's not a big, it's funny. It's not a big deal. If I spent two weeks in a paper and I get a B or a C or whatever, then it looks very different. So that's the same mentality you're talking about, which I have also been engaged in. So yeah, that was the whole thing. It's scary to care in case you fall short. That looks very different, as you point out. So that's how we started, of course. We got onto the uh, weight room on the track. I got the advice from Al Clark, my mentor at Culver Academies. The easiest way to make it special is to make it hard, and we did. Our goal was to be nothing less than the hardest-working high school hockey team in the state, and I dare say we had to be. As Scotty McConnell said, we had to be the hardest-working team because otherwise you would have died. <laughs> so nobody could have worked harder than we did. But that is also, I'm sure, a bucket of cold water at first. Pretty shocking, our workouts. But nobody gave up. And these were voluntary workouts by state law. Everybody kept showing up. Nobody quit. And you wouldn't expect that from the basically the worst team in America at that point. So your reaction to the workouts, pro and con. They were, you know, like you kind of said earlier, we wanted to be a hockey team. We all love the sport and we wanted to do it. We just didn't realize working out in the summer actually had gains to winning a hockey game or being organized in the summer. It all played into it. We kind of just thought when we were at the rink for the hour and a half for practice or two hours during the hockey season, we'd get better. And that was six months and, and we would, we'd get after it. But what we didn't realize was it's a process, right? It's a 12 month full commitment process. And that's the stuff we started learning. That makes sense. Steve. Yeah, it's not like the old days where I feel like Mike and I would go to a week-long Red Berenson hockey camp down at Yoast, you know, for five days, and then that would be your summer training. And like Mike said, it was, it felt like back in the day, it was just a six-month thing. You show up for tryouts, you practice, season's over, you're done. You move on to summer jobs or other sports and things like that. And so we just weren't used to it. And again, it's going back to changing the culture. If we wanted to win some games. We were going to have to put in the work. And it started in June or July. Yeah, late June 30th of 2000, one week after school got out. So like I said, nobody worked harder than you guys. Hour and a half in the weight room and the track. And everybody on that team threw up. And Lapper and I also threw up. So we all had that in common, of course. But honest question, and I've never asked this to you before. Why didn't anybody quit? Why didn't anybody give up? Because you easily could have. These are voluntary workouts and none of you guys did either one of you for me i think it was going back to that close relationship the close bond that you had with your teammates and not wanting to let them down and still wanting to be a part of that team i know workouts weren't something that was a top priority for me i know you talk about in the book we didn't take them seriously at first but at one point when you sent me home from a workout, you know, that could have been it. I could have given up and been like, this guy, who does this guy think he is? You know, I don't want to be a part of this. But you go home, you think about it. I mean, the guy's right. I wasn't taking a workout seriously. I was joking around with my friends and that's not going to cut it anymore. I still want to be on the team. I still want to work out with my friends and, you know, be in that locker room every day. So I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to make the necessary changes and adapt to this new culture. Well, there you go. I was 90%, 95% confident, Steve, that <laughs> you would have come back and come back with a great attitude, and you did. But the key to that was both you and Mike, very charismatic guys, natural leaders, not only on the team, but around the school. Everyone knew you guys. And Lord knows the players owed me nothing. You guys owed me nothing. 
but they all wanted to be around you guys. And that's, like I said, you'll let yourselves down, let the coaches down faster than you let down your teammates. And there was that bond with the teammates. And once we got that bond going, I think it's chapter nine is make peer pressure work for you. You're going to have peer pressure for good or for bad one way or the other. And once you guys were going in the right direction, the whole team very quickly followed because you guys, I thought were the keys to this. You had such charisma, such pull that not only did nobody quit incredibly. And again, they all could have, you're not even quitting on paper because our season does not start until November. People started inviting down other guys from other teams, lacrosse and baseball and football and so on to see if they could survive our workouts. So you guys became, became a bragging point, I think, with you guys around the school, even before school actually resumed. But people were learning about your workouts in July and August. Yeah. I, and I'm going to take one step back there and just kind of go off what Steve said. I think we've talked about this a lot about how close our team is. And I think there's some history there. The hockey world is a small community anyway, but there was a group of us that all had older brothers that played for Huron and played hockey together. There was a group of us that in our amateur hockey days had played together. There was probably when even the, through the age brackets, we all, most of us all played in the Ann Arbor um, amateur hockey association. So we all kind of knew each other and we just threw it all like, we liked each other. So coming to the rink or coming to a workout, like we got to hang out, we got to be together and we were doing something positive. So it was just like, Oh, we got a workout today. Great. I get to see all the hockey guys down at the rink and we're out in the classroom. So I think that's one of the reasons we just all kept coming back to be together. Then we just right started working at it and things started clicking as we went on. That makes a lot of sense. And of course, we have to mention your legendary assistant coach, Mike Lappridge, who's only 19 years old that summer. My joke later on, of course, is that uh, I believed in what we're doing because I had to believe it. If I didn't believe it, no one else is going to believe it. Why Mike believed, I will never know. But I know you guys believed in him. Mike had been a teammate of yours two years earlier. The assistant coach the previous year who was the most on your side, I think, throughout the whole up and down season. And the fact that Lapper was there at every workout, I'm sure had a big impact on you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And no matter how many... I've feel like he was always throwing up from these workouts um, but because he was going 110% all the time and he did it with a smile on his face. Even while puking, you're right. And this yeah, way, he'd like go puke and then he'd turn around wipe like, it all off. Right, guys, let's go again. Let's go run the stairs now. Let's I'll tell you what, when like, you lapometrics, baby, we did a lot of those, a lot of his exercises that were great. Mike told me, Mike Henry, the captain on this podcast, our first lunch after I'd been named the head coach. He had a list of a few things. One, you've got no idea what you're getting into. He was right about that. Two, it needs to be fun. He was right about that too, of course. But I think number three or so was uh, you are keeping Lapper. Not a question, not a suggestion, but basically a command. And Mike was right about that, of course. Lapper was one of the keys to all this. When I named him the permanent assistant coach at the end of the summer, when our end of the fall, when Jane Bennett, our athletic director, says, who's your assistant coach? I said, it's Mike Lappers, the one paid guy. They had other coaches too, of course, very good ones. But she looked at me and said, isn't he like 19? I said, trust me, Henry was right. He's our guy. And that was another key there too, of course. So layers of leadership are clearly important. It kind of comes to a head in August when it rained cats and dogs that morning. And then- Can I point out one thing right sure. there while you were talking real quick? You just said I was right about three things. Yes. You're right about a lot more than that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How much time has changed? Because I don't think in 2001 I would have heard you say I was right about three things. <laughs> oh, that's, that is not true. Later on that year, oh, I actually would have. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, listeners, you have to understand, there's a lot of, I'm going to use the term because screw it, it's my podcast. There's a lot of ball busting back and forth. And there have been for 20 years. And no one does it more than these two with each other, by the way. They're best friends, of course, sit up each other's weddings. But the back and forth between these two is endless. So don't misconstrue that with a lack of love or respect. That's how we roll. So yes, Mike, you're right about more than three things, I promise you. So point well taken there. August, Michigan weather. If you're not from here, you wouldn't know this, but we're used to it. It rains cats and dogs that morning, just soaks the place, basically a flood. And then by 1230, when we're on the track for our killer relays and whatnot, what's going on? But uh, 93 degrees, something like that. Steam is coming off the track. So much steam. I said to the guys, you guys, on the starting line, I said, gentlemen, look down at those football goalposts. Can you see them? And the air was so wavy, you couldn't quite make them out. I said, that's right. It's the hottest day of the year. It's the hottest hour of the hottest day. And we're lucky to be here on this track. We're not going to whine about it. We're not going to cry about it. We're going to brag about it. And we're going to break every record we've got on this track today. Who's with me? 
And of course, most of the guys said a big hoorah and we're ready to go. Except for, I think, a new guy, a ninth grader, grumble something. And Mike, that's when you turned to the guy and said a line I will never forget. Go ahead. Pick it up. You play for Huron at Charter over here? That's right. And with just the right amount of irony, of course. There's some humor in there, too. But Al Clark told me, my mentor at Culver Academies, the easiest way to make it special is to make it hard. And once the players and the team know, they had to do something that not everybody was willing to do just to make the team. With a little nudging, they themselves will reinforce your own culture. Mike, when you said that, that was a key moment for me, for the team, for everybody. I thought, okay, it's not just me saying this stuff. It's coming from you guys. And they cared a lot more when it came from you than when it came from me. I'm just some old guy there on the track, but you're the coolest guy in the high school, next to Beltran, perhaps. But from you, that piped that kid down real fast, and he was on board. We turned that into a phrase on our locker room wall, of course, but that's when it really soaks in. And John Cooper, who was then the coach at Lansing Catholic Central, and now, of course, the head coach of the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, so I guess our careers diverged somewhere along the way. Great line. Bad teams, nobody leads. Good teams, coaches lead. Great teams. Everybody leads. And once I saw you leading like that, Mike, I knew that we had turned a big corner. And workouts felt different at that point. I don't think that was a premeditated comment. It just Not at all. We were just kind of out there. And made it better. Someone said something, I turned my head, and sometimes I don't keep my mouth shut, and that's what came out of my mouth. And But it came out of my mouth because it was happening, right? Things were starting to happen, and I obviously believed it because it came out, and yeah, I, I didn't realize it was such a pitiable or important moment of this whole thing until I look back at it now. But That's when things started changing. Then a few weeks later, we did our last relays on the track, which I won't get into the details, but they're brutal. That's when most of us would throw up if that was going to happen. And uh, you guys figured out, you guys on your own, figured out that the way to do these relays is to have the fastest guys wait for the slowest guys to finish their half lap. And then the fastest guys then catch up to the guys in front of them. You guys figured all that out on your own. Once I saw that happening, I said, wow, I hadn't even thought of that. You guys are now leading yourselves truly. And that, of course, continued into the fall. And feel free, of course. That could have been because I was the slowest guy. I will not name names, but you are not the slowest guy. I'll just say <laughs> that. So you were not the fastest guy. I'll say that too. We had some speedsters on that squad, of course. But anyway, uh, get to the fall game, of course. We've got the fall league going on. I was not allowed to coach. I was in the stands for those games. But for a memorable game in Ann Arbor on a Saturday night when we're playing Chelsea, fall games are unofficial. They're not part of the varsity schedule, just a training camp, basically. But I'm in a plane going to Providence, Rhode Island to do a story on the Providence College women's hockey team for a Title IX bit. And when I get off the plane, I got about 12 messages on my phone machine after just two hours. What had happened in my absence, and how did that help us become a better team? I think Mike knows the story best. <laughs> I was in the stands. I played soccer every fall for the high school. And unfortunately, my junior year and senior year, I broke my ankle. And so I was in the crowd with a broken ankle watching things from the stands. But the game for a fall game, for essentially a scrimmage going into the game, it was pretty electric, you know, down at the old Vets Arena in Ann Arbor. The glass where the stands are is relatively low. At least it was relatively low. We had quite a bit of fans there. It was a great atmosphere. And then, you know, Mike took it from there. So, yeah, I, you know, whatever happened on the ice, one thing led to another. Then a bunch of people started fighting. In your defense, and God bless the Chelsea player whom I talked to for this book, who did admit that he basically started things. It was basically a two or three on one fight with Mike being the poor guy in the middle. And you did not start it, I must say. You didn't stop it, <laughs> uh, that's for sure. But it picks up. You did not initiate it. Two or three Chelsea guys on you. And then what happens next? So then, um, well, being at the bottom of the pile, I'm not really positive. Steve, I'm, I'm throwing it back to him, but I can get into that after stuff. But though everyone came in and, you know, we have a line brawl going. And Jake Ramsey jumps in. Yeah, the goalies are going after it. Then our lovely other goalie, Al Sheldon, has a twin brother on the team named Dan. Dan decided to come off the bench. Then time kind to of protect his up. brother. His brother was in a lot of trouble <laughs> at Center Rice. <laughs> he was not winning. <laughs> not winning that one. For, and for you non-hockey fans out there, when a player leaves the bench, it's a big deal. So time I kind of came around and looked around, everyone was kind of wrestling with someone or fighting with someone. And 
the referee was sitting on Dan Sheldon at center ice. Everyone's sticks, pucks, helmets, gloves, everything was all over the place. And Yard sale, basically. Yes, sir. And we were all asked to leave the game at that point. <laughs> yeah, but about three minutes left, still a tie game. We'd never beaten Chelsea, all tie games, all fall. A very good local team. You guys get in the locker room. Yeah, and that's the, that's the real story of it, right? What happens from there? There you go. Pick it up. Because I was not there. You guys were. So tell the story. So we get back into the locker room. The guys who were involved in the incident, you know, were in there first. And we're kind of laughing and celebrating. It's not the right word, but our adrenaline's really high. I'm like, what just happened? And who did what? And did you see that? Then the game ends, the rest of the team comes back, and everyone's all fired up. Like, like we won the Stanley Cup. Like, what? Then um, the coaches came in and kind of acted like the adults in the room and calmed us down and said, it's not acceptable. You can't be acting like this, blah, 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 blah. Then reality kind of came, set in, like, hey, we just broke some rules. We got another fight. We're new coach. We're going to be in trouble. And kind of that feeling kind of kicked in. Oh, no. Now what? Because I was in Rhode Island. So. You were in Rhode Island. So kind of like. We went from a high to a low really quick, which is, I mean, as an adult now, should have happened, right? But then some people got a little scared, like, oh, man, tryouts are coming up for the winter team. Are we going to get suspended? Are we going to get kicked off the team? And I had some private conversations with a few of the guys that were involved and said, hey, it is what it is, but we came together as a team. We did things together. We supported each other. I was getting my head knocked off, and you guys came in to help. We're going to be fine. You know, that's what we're going to live by. And I can't remember. And you might, you called me that night or the next day. And you and I kind of had that conversation. And you, what's your memory from there? Well, this is another corner that we turned that everyone was freaking out that maybe I might start throwing guys off the team and so on because we ran a pretty tight ship, Lord knows. And this is a pretty wild scene, <laughs> a bench clearing ball and all that. But you said, hey, everyone relax. You and I were close enough at that point, enough trust between us. We both felt that. He said, once I explain to coach what happened and how it happened and whatnot, he's going to be okay. He's not going to like it, but he's going to be okay. And the fact that you had that kind of confidence, you and I turned in a corner, you and me turned in a corner. And then, of course, they all fed off that. If Mike's calm, then we're going to be calm too. So that's how layers of leadership, I think, at their best really work. Came back and talked to everybody on the phone. We had a couple of days off, luckily. And then I talked to all of the six suspended players before the next fall league game. And we said, you know, hey, clearly unacceptable. We can't do this, obviously. That speaks for itself. So, yeah, so I, I talked to you guys and said, it's obviously unacceptable. It's not the kind of program we're going to run. We don't get a ton of penalties. We don't have bench clearing brawls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, you guys all understand that. You're suspended for this game, obviously. This is not going to happen again. However, I am pleased that you guys, as the other coaches got me to this point, Jeff Ford, Ned Glisson, who said, you know what? They actually stood up for each other, and we would not have done that last year necessarily. So that you guys were so tight at that point and so bonded. And that's a great point. And it's not the way I wanted to see it. But what was Jake Ramsey supposed to do? Mike's got two or three guys on him. Supposed to sit there, sit there and watch it? You can't do that, obviously. And, you know, likewise, Dan Sheldon, you're seeing your brother out there in a fight. What are you supposed to do? Not an ideal situation. But you guys stood up for each other, and that was awesome. And then that night in the stands, you guys were cheering like crazy for the 10 players we had left, basically, are supposed to lose that game. They won like 6 nothing, some crazy score over a good team. And then you guys went down, without me telling you, you guys went down there to the locker room to celebrate with those guys after the game right away and cheer them on. So you see these kind of things, and it's just like Al Clark said, you guys were leading yourselves at that point. You didn't need me to tell you those things. And that was awesome. That was just great to see. No, I agree fully with what you're saying there. I, I think the culture started to set in. And like you guys said, the fear eventually dissipated and we realized that what we were doing out there, we were following your rules. We were working hard and we were supporting our teammates. You know, the kids out there, Mike needed help. He was getting jumped by two people essentially, and he needed assistance and things kind of spiraled from there. But it, ultimately we were working hard and supporting each other. And that's what you asked <laughs> us to do. Not and at that moment. Other ways right. to do that. But at the time that's that's yeah, exactly that right. Was and we right only had two rules in the team. I should right have that early on. Work hard, support your teammates. That was the whole thing. And as Steve pointed out earlier about results and so on, we were very impatient about behaviors. Your questionnaires, turn them in. If you don't turn them in, I'm going to have a lot to say about it. Show up on time for workouts, dive in hard, help your teammates. But we were not worried about wins and losses. We couldn't really afford to be. But in that case, work hard, support your teammates. Exactly as you said, Steve, 
you guys did it. And what did I expect you to do? Sit there and watch? You can't do that. So uh, not an ideal situation. But uh, Frank Comiskey, father of Brian and Pat Comiskey, two of our stars, he always said that is when we became a team. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but I am inclined in hindsight to think that perhaps Frank was right. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I'd agree. Definitely a turning point for the program. Mike? Second. There you go. All right. Yeah, yeah. No, I think <laughs> it was a moment and it was probably at the right time of year. We've already been through the summer. We're right around the fall tryouts and it was something that really connected us all. Well, and if nothing else too, of course, you guys became the cool team around school because you had 100 fans there. So we all saw a hell of a fight. <laughs> so they want to come back and see more. So, But it, it changed the storyline. Instead of being the winless team, now this is a team that's unified and sticks up for each other. So... That was kind of cool, too, to redefine yourselves. The season starts. We win the first three games in one week. So with that one week, we actually equal the total wins for the two previous seasons combined. So that's a good week. Then we've got to play Almighty Trenton, where Steve Beltran now teaches, of course. Final score, 13-2. to And I'll remind the listeners, this is not football. It's not basketball. This is hockey in the common increments of one. So that was a, an old-school butt-kicking. Trenton, of course, has won 14 state titles. They might have won another one last week, did they, Steve? Ooh, to Heartland. Nope, fell short in the title game. To Heartland again, the nemesis. Ah, their new nemesis. So there you go. Well, that's how close they are, of course. 14 banners. USA Today called them the best high school hockey program in the nation, not without reason. So we play those guys 13-2. to two. Guys are pretty discouraged. You guys recall that game very well, I suspect. You guys want to tell that story? That was Al's game. I was... Uh, I believe in the stands for that one. Yep, it was the third goalies game, not Al's. Yeah, Mike, you want to take that one since I was not starting that game? I mean, I think 13-2 to two pretty much sums it up. We started climbing up and started getting things together and get put back in your place. You get put back in your place pretty quick and you're back down to reality and then you really find out what you're made of, right? Like, exactly right. They were in the locker room, though, of course, and guys were pretty upset, but I cut it off. And this is where, again, I stress you emphasize behaviors not tangible results, not profits, not quarterly returns. These things all matter. We wanted to win games. We kept track, certainly, of all kinds of stats. We were a competitive program, but we didn't focus on that as our main purpose. So the guys are throwing things around. I said, hey, stop. What are the two rules of here in hockey? And they said, work hard, support your teammates. Did we do those things? Yes, we did, actually, and kind of like that Chelsea fight. Not the way you want to see it necessarily, but you guys worked hard the entire game. Nobody gave up. Nobody coasted. Nobody pointed fingers. Everyone supported the goalie. Not Al or uh, Beltran must be pointed out. But walk out with your heads held high. We define ourselves. That's a crucial thing, I think, for any turnaround program. You have to define yourself and tune out the world. So I'm not sure if that sunk in or not, but I felt it that night anyway. Yeah, you know, it, like I said, it, it's a real test when you get beat up like that. Again, we're back to that. All the stuff we did earlier on, are we proven, right? Can we get back up and can we keep going and can you recover from something like that? And, you know, you talk about losing kids and losing things. I mean, we responded. We, we kept going. That's the Trenton Junior High School. Of course, the Arthur's Middle School bell right there. So this is the real deal. Yeah, you're right. exactly right, Mike. We got punched in the face pretty good. And I'd love to tell you we went on a winning streak. We went on a 10-game losing streak, which is about almost half the season. Oh, for December and almost all of January. Pretty tough, to say the least. We lost Dave McMurtry to a broken ankle. We lost Beltran also to a broken ankle. So two of our key players, that certainly affected us. But there we are. But you had a great quote, Steve, in the book about that 10-game losing streak, that it did not feel like the year before. Yeah, definitely. We still felt like we were on the right track. We had put in the effort. We had seen the results early on in the fall and you know the first week of the regular season. And... You want to play well against teams like Trenton, but at the same time, we just weren't there yet to challenge a perennial state power. So we're not as discouraged, I think, as we might have been. Uh, things just still felt a little bit different. I'm not going to say it was enjoyable or you know, there weren't some doubts here or there, like, uh, was it just a fluke those first few games? We really hoped to beat Pioneer during that stretch, but it definitely felt different from previous year. I appreciate that. And that was, you guys battled every night. That's what you said in the book that, you know, you're in the hunt. Most of those games are close games, often down to the third period. We just, like I said, we weren't quite there yet. We're missing a couple pieces, but getting close. The pioneer game, of course, was the tennis ball game where after we closed the lead on a great power play, 500 tennis balls come out of the stands. I'm not making this up, people. It's in the book. Check it out. So we were penalized. They stopped the period. 
took about 20 minutes to clear off the ice. Then the wheels came off after that because our students were gone, the energy for that game. So I didn't blame you guys for any of that. But then when I was talking to the athletic director, Jane Bennett, in her office the next day about, okay, how this happened, I said, well, the idea probably started with me. I didn't tell anybody to do this, but I did tell the old day stories and the 80s about how they used to throw tennis balls on the ice and that got spread around and that ended up being tennis balls. So during that game, quite a one hell of a scene to say the least, as we all recall, front page of the Ann Arbor News. But Mike Henry left me a note at her office saying, I'm in the gym for my gym class. Come see me. And Mike, I'll let you pick it up from there and about the practice later on. So this is, you know, maybe a management lesson that, or just something I felt, but you got to know your people. You got to know the temperature of the room and where everyone is. And, you know, we were battling and things weren't going our way. And we thought maybe we had a shot to win that hockey game. And, and we did. We did. And we kind of, like you said, got deflated and, a, you know, another big bump in the road and getting towards the end of the year, we were tired, we were beat up. So it just felt like everyone needed 24 hours, 48 hours, probably at that time, right? Saturday to Monday. Just felt like everyone still needed a breather. Like we've talked about how close we were. It was just everyone still needed just to sort it out. So I can't remember why I left you a note, but I think I knew you were coming up to. Up well, to you, you, you gave me good advice. We sat down, we chatted for a bit. It's good to see you. And no, I, that's not what I meant. I know I asked you to come see me, but I don't know why I left it in the athletic office. You must. Well, because you know that because you knew I had to talk to the athletic director. That's why. <laughs> so yeah, I asked you to come see me, and I just explained to you where I thought the team was. Where just seeing everyone kind of down and tired. And I just explained that to you. And I thought we should cancel practice on Monday just to give everyone a little bit more time to regroup and get back to the rink. There you go. Actually, the game was on a Wednesday night for Pioneer. So oh, it was a right, Thursday right, practice. Right. It's okay. Thursday practice. So we had to practice Thursday and Friday that day. And you're in the school and I'm not. I'm a freelance writer. I'm not a teacher. So you're talking to the guys all day long. People were really down. And you said, we need to cancel practice. And I was very scared to do that. I learned that from Jim Brew, the great soccer coach at Culver Academies. Never cancel practice because it screws up your habits and all that. So I made a compromise where we didn't cancel practice. Guys all showed up. But instead of our usual pre-practice workout, I just told, we talked about the game and how you guys are now the heroes of the high school and quite infamous there. And you guys all laughed at that. I said, I'd have no problem with the effort. We worked hard. We support our teammates. We're okay. Then I told dumb stories for no purpose whatsoever about rental cars and you name it. And then said, you know, the ice is there if you want it. If you want to go home, take a nap or do homework, whatever else, feel free. If you want to go skate and have a good time on the ice with no practice at all, feel free. It's up to you. And John Eldridge, your good friend, Elmo, said that that was actually a key. We were close to a breaking point, which I did not realize. And Mike, you did. Thank God you intercepted me because I did not know. And I would have just, you know, pushed hard on that day and we would have lost some guys maybe. So finger on the pulse, trusting your captains, trusting your leaders. And by that point, we had a ton of trust, I think, between us. You're right. You're right. And you saved us a disaster. And then we had a good practice the next day. And then we had Divine, Dearborn Divine Child, one of the best teams in the state, previous state champs, and a 2-2 tie. Probably our best game of the year in many ways. So, Mike, you got it right, but you got to know your people and trust your people. And you were right about that completely. Steve, if you're keeping notes, that's number four. I've been right on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Steve is exactly tallying how many times you were right. And then we put Steve Beltran. He's back finally from his broken ankle midseason. We're playing Kalamazoo at the end of January. Beltran, tell us the story. Yeah, that was definitely a, a memorable game as a goalie. I think everybody wants to go out with a shutout at some point. I know in the book you talk about how you tried to get every player a goal. You know, you want to score at least one goal as a high school player. From a goalie's perspective, I feel like you want to get at least one shutout. And that was my shutout out in Kalamazoo. Had a nice long bus ride. I believe we were able to take a charter bus out we there. We got a charter bus. Exactly. And we got there a little bit early. I want to say you showed us some some video from the 1980 Miracle on Ice prior to that game and give us a little inspiration. And so we were fired up to go out there and play a good game. I think we dominated that game. Team that, a team that had beaten us pretty badly the year before. So this, this yeah. is not an easy team necessarily. No, and honestly, the closest I got to giving up a goal was Mike trying to score on me from behind the net. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I, recall I, I that. Say, Mike does. Oh, he knows. He knows. I think it was a power play or something. He's behind the net setting things up. 
And for whatever reason, he barely steps out behind the net, fires a puck across the crease, <laughs> hits like the heel of my goalie stick. And I want to say it hits the post or almost hits the post. And he almost ruined my shutout in the third period. Your stick wasn't in the But definitely ball. a memorable experience there. And that was a team that beat us 5-3. to three. I looked it up. 5-3 to three the previous year. And you guys go out there and shut them out 5 nothing. So that one had to feel good. And that's your first game back. Hey, man, you're undefeated and you got a shutout. So that's pretty good, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. It felt good. It felt good to get back out there and feel like I was contributing again. Now you did a good job there. And then we finished up by beating Dexter by sweeping Gabriel Richard, a league team. And then senior night, Beltran again against Wyandotte, another team that beat us pretty handily the year before. Senior night, they probably outplayed us. They, they definitely outshot us. But Beltran, you were big. The team played well. I mean, I think we, again, it's the end of the season and things were just kind of clicking. Uh, we were coming together, playing good all around, you know, team defense, and we were scoring goals, playing hard. I made a couple saves, but you made about thirty in saves the, in that game, <laughs> and had to. Yeah, it was a great way to cap off the regular season. I mean, when we ended up winning, it was a close game, right down to the wire. There was a ton of fans in the stands. It felt almost like a playoff victory. It felt like a a big game, a big moment for the team, for the program. And we were celebrating. I think gloves and helmets came off at some point. I know my mom still got a picture of you and I embracing at some point. It felt different. It was a great way to end the season, or at least end the regular season. No question about it. And right by the door, I think, when you guys were finishing your handshakes and all that, it was spontaneous. I can't remember who approached whom in either case. I remember Mike and I had a big hug, and Steve, you and I had a big hug. and. You're the leaders of that team that got us to that point. Other leaders as well, of course. We had a lot of good leaders in that team, and we needed them all. No question about it. But that definitely felt like something had changed and for good. Uh, you guys had won seven games at that point, the most improved team in school history. The previous record was five. So to go from zero to seven like that was pretty impressive. But more than that, the culture had changed. And honestly, year two, year three, year four were much easier coaching-wise because the only guys who were new the second year were freshmen. Everyone else knew what they're doing. Everyone else knew how the program worked. Everyone else knew that the seniors ran the team. That's how we did things. And, you know, how we run a workout, how we run a practice. It was all pretty simple after that. And, Mike, you, of course, stayed on to assistant coach that summer when we actually won the summer league unexpectedly, frankly, 8-1-1. One, and, one. and, of course, right away, you're a great assistant coach. What do you recall from that experience that summer, if anything? Yeah, it was just good to still be able to help and continue to to pass along the culture to the next group of kids and help, you know, make sure things kept going the, the same way. And you did it, of course. And of course, the guys all listened to you because you'd been there and done that. One of your great contributions that summer when I was pushing a player to do better in a couple areas and he mutters to himself, when you're there and I'm not, coach hates me. And you said, coach doesn't hate anybody. He just thinks he can do better. <laughs> I thought, hell yeah. From you, that made all the difference. And I know he brightened up right away. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Beltran, of course, you jumped on the bus the next year when we played Trenton in the regional final. You came all the way down there, about an hour drive or so. Same team that beaten us 13-2 to the previous year. 3-2 in the regional final. We lost, but it was close. And according to our stats, we beat them, outshot them by a couple of shots. And their fans gave our guys a standing ovation. What made my day is then when we're leaving, I saw you in the lobby and said, hop on and talk to the guys. And we can't recall quite what you said, but to have you on that bus – you have in that arena, supporting these guys a year later and seeing how far we'd come on your shoulders, of course, that meant the world to me. Yeah, I wish I could remember what I said, but I think that just speaks to the culture and how close we were as a team. You know, obviously Eldridge, John Eldridge and I were close and remained close. So I wanted to go down there and support him, but really And, and he was a senior on that team. team. He's a year behind you guys. So he's a senior on that team. Yeah. And so you want to support him, but also the rest of the team. And you'd kept tabs. I'd kept tabs on the team and I saw that they were doing well. And there was a real shot to beat Trenton that year. And it's like, man, that's something I'd like to see, get a little revenge on Trenton. And so I went down there hoping to see a victory, but turned out it was a great game right down to the end. I thought they had a chance. And I know that can be devastating when your season ends in a game like that. And again, it wasn't pre-planned or anything. I just hopped on the bus, said a few words to the guys and, you know, wished them well. That meant a lot to those guys, of course. They all loved it. You could hear a pin drop because 
your voice carried a lot of weight with those guys and should have naturally. We did beat Trenton finally our fourth year, four to three at their place. Uh, that's how long it took. A lot of one goal games, a lot of good back and forths, but that's how long it took. But it was fun to be on a level with those guys after being so far behind them, of course, initially. But uh, there we were. So takeaways this time are your takeaways. Mike, you're now in a position of great responsibility and leadership. You've got a staff of about 50 people. And of course, Beltran, your staff is bigger than that. You've got how many students do you have in the course of a day at Arthur's Middle School? I see about 125, give or take, in a day. And that's social studies? Yeah, social studies. And we also teach electives at the end of the day, social studies related. Of course, I'm big into the public schools. We're all graduates of public schools. And we need to do more for teachers naturally. So I'm immensely proud of what you've done. What are your takeaways from the experience, good, bad, or otherwise? But what do you carry with you to this day? Really, the thing that I've carried with me through it all is keep things simple. No matter what the task is, focus on the things that can be across the board. Example, work hard, support your teammates. You do two things. Same thing here around the ring. Are, you know, are we doing things right? Are we working hard at them? And if we're doing those things... We might miss on some things, we might not, but we're being consistent. Just keep it simple, do the things you can control, and everything else kind of falls into place. So that's really what I've kept with me is just break it down and make it simple, and then everything else comes along with it. And when you hire somebody, when you have to talk to somebody, you use some of our phrases. You've changed them for your own purposes, wisely, I think. But you have three main points you talk about when you talk to your people. Yeah, I mean, and the work hard's really kept with me. So one's work hard, and I think that just works a lot. If your work, like if you have a task to do or you're assigned a task by a manager and you work hard at it, usually you'll get through it. But the one I added to ours was have fun. If you do everything else right at work, we get to have fun. We work in an ice arena. We work around hockey. It's a fun and exciting atmosphere. But if we're not doing the right things and getting the things done, it's hard to have fun. So if we're doing everything fun, we get to go out and work a game or an event and have fun with each other because we know we're getting the stuff done. So I like to be in a kind of a laid back culture in the workplace. But to get there, we got to do all the things right. and We can't get too far behind. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's important too, by the way, when you do work hard and support your teammates to have fun, we call it putting a flag in it, celebrate all victories. When Slava Vatisov former Detroit Red Wing defenseman, but back then the Soviets, when they lost to the Americans in 1980 in the Miracle on Ice game, they're all there on their sticks watching the Americans celebrate. And I asked Slava, what was that all about? And he said, we had forgotten the joy of winning. They did not, and that's why they won. You have to celebrate these victories, of course, and you do a good job of that as well. I should also clarify to our non-hockey listeners, the USA Hockey Program produces the nation's best players at age 16 or 17 who often go on, usually go on, to great careers in the NHL, and some of those guys are headed for the Hall of Fame. Name a few of your biggest graduates of the USA Hockey Program or CompuWare. I'll give you two that are for both. Andy Kopp and Jacob Truba both played for CompuWare and then ended up at the USA Program, then University of Michigan, and they're both in the National Hockey League now. But Patrick Kane, Jimmy Howard, it's an endless streak. The Hughes brothers, all three Hughes brothers, just an M- Dylan Larkin. I feel bad saying Dylan Larkin's the current captain of the Detroit Red Wings, of course, and Patrick Kane is going to the Hall of Fame. He's won three Stanley Cups with the Chicago. The Kachuk brothers. And I feel bad naming Natans because they're all wonderful and they're all great. But Eric Nystrom, who was our age, played at the USA program. Great people, great program. It's been a success for the National Hockey League, and they just keep producing athlete after athlete, so it's great. And now you've got a very competitive national team, but that's how big Mike's job is, of course, so... Steve, how about you? What do you carry with you into the classroom on a daily basis? It wasn't until we started talking about this book when you were reaching out for information and then I ended up reading the book that I realized just how much of Huron Hockey I've brought to the classroom and how much of the book you could see in my classroom on a regular basis. It's kind of scary. It feels like those insurance commercials where like you're becoming your dad. Like I feel like I'm kind of becoming... (laughs) Bacon. What could be worse? What could be worse? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, like Mike said, in the classroom with eighth graders or really with any students, keeping it simple. I've always had two rules in my classroom respect yourself, respect others. I like that. You do those two things, everything else just kind of falls into place. If anything is going on in the classroom, ask yourself are you being respectful of yourself? Are you being respectful of others? You know, and if the answer is no, Well, there's your problem right there. It's a simple fix. And then after 
reading the book, I was like, hey, I like that work hard, support your teammates thing. I've actually brought that into to the classroom this year. Work hard, support your classmates. I mean, it's just that simple. You show up every day, you work hard, and then you look out for the 30 other kids in the classroom. I love you that. Know, we don't put each other down. We support each other. We lift each other up. We help each other. And it makes the classroom a great place to be. Things from that, the idea you, you probably think from the book about... You probably don't let them have sorry. fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> of course we do. But like you said, you got to put in the work first, and then we can have the fun. The fun comes after the hard work. And you know, from my perspective, you can do both at the same time. Bacon, you also talk about watering all the plants, let the kids surprise you. And you got to do that in the classroom as well. Kids have reputations. Kids have siblings. You hear stories about them, rumors, whatever. You got to block all that out. And just every kid gets a fresh start every year, you know, maybe even every day. Like every day is different in the classroom. You got to let these kids have an opportunity to succeed each and every day. I love it. And of course, water all the plants. It's so easy for bosses, for coaches, for teachers to play favorites. Once you've done that, You've demotivated the favorite and you've demotivated all those who are behind the favorite who feel they can't get a fair shot. When you water all the plants, you don't know who's going to grow, why or when. And I'm sure, Steve, you've seen it in your role where a kid who seems dormant for three or four months all of a sudden starts sprouting. You have no idea why or how, but it's not our job to predict. It's our job just to water all the plants and let them sort it out. That's how Nate Reichwage, our fifth string goalie, ended up being a starter out of nowhere, gave him a chance. So you never know who's going to step up or why. And by the way, the environment you describe for an eighth grade, I mean, eighth grade, I think is probably the hardest year for almost any student, emotionally and otherwise. Almost everyone agrees with that. To have that kind of oasis, Steve, that you've created for them is a wonderful, wonderful asset for any of these kids. And they're lucky to have it. They're not going to forget you. And to have how many kids felt in eighth grade, everyone in this classroom has got my back. Everyone in this classroom is going to respect me. Everyone in this classroom is on my side. That's incredibly rare. And I'm not surprised you've done that, but I am impressed. And that's pretty cool. So I always end up with the uh, three takeaways. And now I've got about five or six, of course. So let me pick a few here from you guys. You guys already picked them for me, basically. One is keep it simple. And in all cases, by the way, both you and both Steve and Mike, you guys are focusing on behaviors and not results. You're not talking about grades, Steve, and Mike, you're not talking about profits. Just what are our behaviors? How are we doing in our conduct? If the conduct's okay, the grades will get better and so will the money and all the rest. But if you're not respecting yourself, respecting others, then the grades are going to fall, obviously. So one thing, keep it simple. I like that. Two, have fun. You have to celebrate your victories and reward those, as Steve and Mike both said. That's after you do the work and so on. But once you've done that work, have fun. We should have fun, of course. And of course, I could go with, uh, I got to do four here. One, respect yourselves, respect others. It's that simple. Every rule can follow from that. And finally, of course, water all the plants. We all believe in that. So pretty cool stuff. The last question I ask all my guests is, who was your favorite teacher and why? And by the way, everybody in the world, from Vancouver to Sao Paulo to Santiago, Chile, has answered this question for me. They can all come up with it within five seconds. It's pretty amazing. So Henry, I'll let you go first. Who was your favorite teacher and why? Oh, man. You're the first guy to fail this <laughs> one, Mike. First guy to fail. <laughs> I'll go to Beltran and you'll think of it, Mike. You can also pick coaches, bosses, but don't pick me, of course. But not that you're going to oh, anyway. You, you stole it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess if you're forcing me to pick somebody else aside from oh, you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. For me, it's obvious. It's Mr. Geffen from Oh, yeah. Plague Bruce Geffen. I know him well. He just absolute best. He, you know, ironically or coincidentally, he was my eighth grade U.S. history teacher. That's not a surprise. And it might be a shock, but I was not the easiest student, so to speak. I can't believe that, Steve. I cannot believe that. No, no. And he was the one who just wouldn't accept that. He wouldn't accept me not living up to my potential. He saw something. He cared. He was tough. He was demanding. He believed in me when a lot of other teachers did not. He wouldn't tolerate my excuses, and he always expected me to do better. And I hope that I can be my student's Mr. Geffen. Uh, he's just an amazing teacher, and I was lucky enough, we went to your book talk in the fall, and he was actually there. And I was able to actually let him know how much I appreciate him. 
And I know a lot of people don't get that opportunity, but I really do appreciate Mr. Geff. I love that. I know Bruce, not as well as you do, but I know him pretty well. I know he's a great teacher. Word always gets out in the great teachers, by the way. That always happens. But you were never a bad kid. You always like to test the limits. There's no question about that. You got a lot of sense of humor, which sometimes needs to be redirected back in the old days. But no, you had a lot of positives and he saw those. And he was demanding too, of course. Whenever I asked this question, the answers never once come back. My favorite teacher was easy. Never, not once, more than a hundred times in English, Portuguese, and Espanol, never. But he cared about you clearly. He would come to your high school hockey games. I would see him in the stands. That's how much, how devoted he was, of course. And of course, it's come back since then to the book signing and so on. So I think it's a beautiful story that you're now an eighth grade social studies and history teacher, by the way. You are Mr. Geffen, and you're passing that on to hundreds more. It's going to be thousands very soon. And they'll never forget you, Steve. So what you're doing is a beautiful thing, to say the least. So I'm going to get choked up if I'm not careful, damn it. And so I do it too easily, perhaps. But uh, okay, Mike, you've had about five minutes there. I hope you got an answer. Who's your best mentor of all time? So that's a, such a tough question for me because I've been so fortunate to be around so many great people who've shaped and moved me. And, you know, I'm not going to cut Steve off here, but if you don't say your parents or if I don't say my parents, I'd be reluctant. Both my mom and my dad, you know, Bill and Pam, great parents were just amazing to get me to where I am today. And I, I can't appreciate them enough, but um, I'm going to step away from the teacher and say mentor Mike Vellucci. Mike Vellucci is now the assistant coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but he was my first boss here at you was was Compuware Arena in the Plymouth Whalers and now it's USA Hockey Arena. But he was my first mentor here. I worked for him for nine years. And the story here of keeping things simple, and he didn't come out of our path to take that with us, but he that was him too. Direct, precise decisions, make the simple decision, keep things easy. And he was able to help shape my career from making, you know, doing all this work and getting to the end and not knowing the decision. And he was always so calm and to the point. And, I really enjoyed my time working with him. I hope that answers that. Are you still in touch? Yeah, we talk probably once a month. His schedule's a little busy right now trying to win a sure. up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We still talk. Um, his family's still in the area. They're, they're close friends of mine. And yeah, he's great. There you go. I love it, by the way, when people reach out to these teachers and mentors and people who change your life and they say thanks. I think it's a wonderful thing. And I try to do that myself with my many mentors and teachers and great coaches and so on. So I sent Mike... He travels a lot now. I mailed him a book of Let Them Lead and sent him a nice note thanking him for his time with me as well. I love it. Well, appreciate that. By the way, I owe you three bucks in that case. That's my take. So uh, in each book right there. So I'm uh, glad to hear that. Pretty cool, guys. Hey, look, one of the great gifts for me for coaching here on hockey now 20 some years ago, 22 years ago, 21 years ago when I started is getting to know you guys, not just as hockey players, of course, that's long since passed, but you may deny it, and I understand why you would publicly, but uh, I consider you guys two of my best friends, awesome guys. And when these guys come back, by the way, to our annual barbecue, you know, I go to their weddings, they come to our barbecue. Their kids are older than my kids, so they give me parenting advice, and I have to take it. So I've consulted with both those guys on how to raise kids, and your advice has been quite good, by the way, both of you. So I appreciate that as well. So thanks to two of my uh, great friends and two of the great leaders of here on hockey. You'll read about them in the book. They're two of the heroes for sure. And let them lead Mike Henry, the captain, and Steve Beltran, one of our star goalies. So, gentlemen, thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you, and thank you for truly an amazing year that set the course for both Steve and I for our futures. It's much appreciated. That's awfully nice, man. Absolutely. Appreciate that. I'll tell you what, the, one of the greatest gifts you guys gave me is when you guys both got choked up your senior year at the banquet, giving your speeches, a little red-eyed in both cases, I think. That told me that's your final exam as a coach, not your final record. If they're not sad to see it go, you probably screwed up. So you guys being that emotional about it at the time meant everything to me. So, and the cool part is we can now go out and get some beers. So, Hey, how about that? All right. You're Thank buying. You I'm happy to buy. No problem at all. <laughs> From the book alone, I owe you. There you go. So yeah. yes, I'll definitely buy. You're listening to Let Them Lead, the podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today. Please spread the word, subscribe, Give it a review and let your friends know. I'm John U. Bacon, the author of Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team with two of the stars of that team, Mike Henry and Steve Beltran. Gentlemen, thank you again and stay tuned for the next podcast. 
You've been listening to Let Them Lead, a podcast about the risks and rewards of leading today with your host, John U. Bacon, author of Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. We hope you enjoyed this episode, got a few laughs, and picked up some insights you can use tomorrow and think about for years. Please feel free to leave your comments about any and all of the podcast episodes, and by all means, spread the word. Please join us again for another fun, fast, and fulfilling serving of Let Them Lead.